What do you know? I'm here with Cody Fan, and this is a first for us. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot of firsts, I think, in this interview, and uh, we're hoping to break new ground. I, I don't know how many metaphors I can come up with. Something new, yeah, and something new. That is that is going to be the theme here tonight. Um, but we jump right into this on what do you know? Can you share a testimony of your calling? Yeah. So. As you said, this is a lot of first and kind of breaking new ground. You know, my, my calling was very recently. It was just earlier this month. In fact, it was on January 3rd. It was the first sacrament service of the new year um, at the Temple Lot. And uh, Glenn Gill gave the calling, and it was a calling to be an elder. And as you can, uh, as you can imagine or, you know, understand, I... Um, had a range of emotions and thoughts that, that went along with that calling. And there were a number of witnesses. You were in attendance that day, so yeah. you know what I'm talking about. But there was a number of witnesses that stood up and attested to uh, the validity of the calling or, or the validity of the spirit that was there. And other people approached me um, after the service uh, that didn't stand up that gave me their witnesses or shared their thoughts. And I was kind of taken aback. There was just a lot of emotions with it because I still feel and felt uh, very inadequate and very unworthy of not only the calling, but especially to the office of elder. It was really hard for me to process that at first. I, I always thought that you know, I am currently the at the time of the recording the Sunday school superintendent, so I have been you know, filling in for classes and teaching and doing all this stuff. So I had thought in the past that if there ever was an opportunity to be called, it, it would be kind of this natural uh, progression or transition into be like a teacher. And the teachers do have an important responsibility in the ministry. And, and every office has important responsibilities, but to be able to teach and um, to, to, uh, to preach and kind of have that to fill that role seemed like something that made sense. And so when it was a call to be an elder, I I took a lot of pause with that. And I remember Glenn standing up and giving his testimony. And uh, when he he kind of changed, something about him changed. It was the tone of his voice or right, something right. changed. And he turned around and he looked at me. And, you know, I didn't feel... Um, like this overwhelming spirit or anything, I had this rush. Uh, I can only describe it as this rush of adrenaline because he's looking at me, and it's like I knew what was coming. And and he call, he told me to rise up, and you know he called me to be an elder. And there was a couple things that have transpired during that service and since then that as I had time to process it, I could look back and know that it was right, and ultimately why I accepted the call. And that testimony service, as you remember, started off with um, Don Case, who was in charge of the in charge of the service. He gave a testimony about um, being uh, being basically saved from from being hit by a car. Uh, him and his wife outside of of uh, a Sam's Club, and um, I don't want it to diminish the testimony because it was really powerful. But the point of that being was a new beginning. This was, it gave him and Bonnie a new beginning. You know, something something wasn't done yet in in their life that they still need they still need to do. 
And this theme of new beginnings kind of um, permeated throughout the entire uh, sacrament service. And, and my calling came at the very end of the sacrament service. And there was all these testimonies about new beginnings and about kind of, kind of a fresh start. And when, when Glenn stood up, he started talking about um, testimonies related to this and how he was given a, a new beginning and that you know God still had something for him to do. And that's when it changed. Mm-hmm. And you could, there was something about him that changed, and, and you could tell. And that's when he, he said, there's something I have to do right now. And then he gave that calling. And that theme of new beginnings fit into this because, and, and it was a theme that I needed to hear because it, this is like um, a new beginning for me and, and um, for Amy and for our lives and our family. And it fit. And um, this was a new <clears throat> beginning for the two. This was a new beginning for the two church locals as well. That that isn't lost on me, also. Right. And this sacrament service was the last one before. And at that morning, at that same time going on, was the last service at the East Local. Yeah. And so this was, uh, this uh, this theme was started by Donnie and grew organically, you know, I would say led by the Spirit, talking about this new beginnings. And it, it speaks to me personally and uh, lends some credence to the Spirit that was there in the service and kind of helps me to understand things that I have been worrying about in my life. And long story short, this is a new beginning for me, and I see it as a new beginning. And so being able to look back and and go through that stuff was, uh, and go through, um, just kind of process the service and process the things that took place in that sacrament service, helped me to understand more that this calling was valid. But, but, you know, to, to kind of take a step back, I had, you know, the calling had been given. Uh, we had the season of prayer, and people stood up and gave their testimonies. Like I said before, people came up to me after the service and gave their uh, their personal testimonies to me more, uh, as I said before. So I left kind of in shock. I never thought I would be called because I just felt very inadequate and because of things that I've done in my past and, and I've never would be good enough. And how could I be preaching to people on, on how to behave and to change their life? And very, very, a very, very strong feeling of inadequacy. In fact, I remember my grandpa walking up to me after, after the service. And, um, he, he basically said, you know, he told me you're ready. And I said, how can I be? The first thing I said was, how can I be a minister with all the stuff I've done in my life? And he said, don't worry about it. And looking back, that stuff, that that theme of a new beginning was there. And that, I, whenever I was able to process it, that I can look back on it and say, this is a new beginning. And, and so it really spoke to me. But, but outside of this new beginning theme, sorry, I keep no, getting that's, that's gotta yeah. That's probably good that you're stuck on that. I mean, that's a... That's a humble take on someone who's who's just took on a lot of responsibility. So yeah, a new beginning. I mean, it, it's a, it's a baptism by fire for you jumping from Sunday school coordinator to 
you know, elder. And you've kind of referenced that that's an intimidating step, but it's uh, definitely a, a new, a new part of your life. Yeah. Right? So a new beginning fits. So we were in a new year, the first sacrament service of a new year. We were in the last service before the two locals combined. So we were getting ready for a new combination or a new local, I would even say. Mm-hmm. It was, this was a new beginning or a new, not even chapter of my life, a new book for myself or Amy. And so this theme, it just fits too perfectly. And I went home. I left that service kind of in shock and processing stuff. And I went home and I was in constant prayer because I... This the I, I this heavy feeling of inadequacy was with me and just kind of I, I think my mind was going a million miles an hour and the office really the the office of elder really played um, a part in, in that kind of I don't want to say anxiety but maybe self doubt yeah because I'm a young guy like. I, I'm not, I don't feel elderly, you know, like I don't, ha- I don't have that. Elderly. All elders have to be old, I guess. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm maybe it's, maybe it's a maturity thing. And I felt, I feel very immature and like, I, I still feel like a kid. Like I was called to be an elder and I understand the responsibilities of, of an elder in the church. And I mean, this is admin- administering to people and you know, all this other stuff. So I felt kind of, and I still do feel really, inadequate and I kind of feel like a fraud or a phony and I was like this this can't be me so I was praying the whole time after church I said if this is something that I need to do I would really really like to have a witness someone that either didn't know that I was called but felt led to reach out to me or heard that I was called and and could give me a witness outside of someone that was in that service and, and maybe that's selfish of me. I don't know, because but I just wanted I just wanted someone that wasn't there, no, someone that was not there in that service to be able to tell me that they had a witness to this calling. And um, I hope it's all right to call them out. But within, so that was my con. This this was my constant prayer. Right. Let me, <clears throat> what you're describing though is scriptural. It is you you can test God in that you can say God make the fleece wet. Yeah. Now God makes the ground wet and the fleece dry. There's there's a standard for that and, and, and God allows us. He understands we're human and we need his assurance. So what you're saying and describing, God accounts for that and yeah. he, he will he will provide that. We have the right to ask for that. No, and and I appreciate that because I mean I did ask for that and, and I, I was asking that I, I just want someone who who is not in that service to to give me that witness. And I'm within an hour of when I got home, uh, within an hour of when I got home and this constant prayer was on my mind and just kind of trying to process this stuff. I laid my phone on the counter and kind of did my own thing and my phone dinged and I went over and it was a text from Jeff Oldham and he said, Hey, I I just want to let you know, I heard about your calling and I was told on August 2nd of last year in a sacrament service that you were going to be called and that I was not to give the calling, but to be a witness. And I don't know if, if I've um, talked in 
uh, talk to Jeff about that, kind of uh, just between him and I, but what he was given to know and the fact that he was given to know that he was not to give the calling and to be and to be a witness to that calling, God knew in August of last year exactly what I needed and exactly what I was going to ask for. And that kind of um, plan. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a, it was playing, and that that really, that was what I needed to know. And I know that um, I still had knots in my stomach thinking about it, and I hadn't accepted it uh, even after that. And um, Sunday night, um, you were gracious enough to have me over, and uh, you know we were praying and um, with some other folks, and you know I just felt sick to my stomach just thinking about you know, accepting this responsibility. And I, I still sat around and f- felt like, and I still kind of do feel like a, like a phony or a fraud. Like, how can I do this? And, um, that feeling of immaturity just kind of was still there and very, very, very present. It made me f- really did make me feel sick to my stomach. So that, so I was just kind of praying for that comfort and peace. Someone had told me that night that, oh, one of the things uh, that would be, helpful in accepting the calling would be to have that comfort and that peace about it. So I was praying and meditating on that. And that was on my mind. And that next morning I was asking for that, that comfort and and peace. And, and if there's any conversations that I needed to have, I could have them. And I got just out of the blue, I got a text message from someone who might listen to this and know exactly that I'm talking about them, but who will remain nameless and said, really? No, I'm kidding. I'll say it. it was Steven Stratton. And he texts me and he goes, um, Hey, I, I heard you were called to what office and just him texting me kicked off a conversation between him and I, that was the conversation that I needed to have. And shortly after that conversation I had with him, for those who don't know, I work from home uh, for now because of COVID, and Amy works from home as well. And after that, shortly after that conversation, I looked over to Amy and I said, "I'm going to accept this calling." And you know, she has always she's always had a piece about it, and of a, a, a real real piece about it. And everyone else seemed to have confidence in it except for me. So I went ahead and accepted it, and um, then I ended up waiting till the until January 17th for the ordination. And if I would have waited any longer, I probably would have talked myself out of it. <laughs> right. Talk yeah. yourself out of it. Yeah. So, so there's two points that I'm, I'm thinking when, as I hear this, number one, I can now finally see Stephen's calling having purpose, right? I can, oh, yeah. No, I'm giving him a hard time, <laughs> but I don't mean that, but it's so funny that the problem you're struggling with, was like the, the maturity you thought you didn't have. And then yeah. talking to Stephen is supposed to of, fix that. I know of all Come people, so, right? but he's the perfect example of, of what we're, so, we're struggling with another young minister. Yeah. No, you know? he's so, the perfect example of, uh, of an immature minister that I needed to have a conversation. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible, but at the same time, this is fun. And, and I can rag Steven's on Stephen, so yeah, we Steven's don't mind. Expense. I don't mind at all. And but I that, really appreciate but that, that fits, conversation. Though, that yeah. fits that that he's <clears> there, and and God knew who you needed to talk to, and and uh, we have a close friendship with him. Yeah, uh, that we've nurtured and and developed, and so I just think it's it's amazing that God puts people in our lives for 
whatever reason. Yeah, he's all right. But no, I agree with you. And it's, you know, I, I didn't reach out to him. I wasn't trying to fish for, for I, I didn't even know. I, I just didn't even, looking back, I didn't even know how the, it was going to be resolved. But whatever I needed to talk about and that we did talk about kind of resolved it. And I'm glad that he reached out. It was, it was what I needed. And I, you know, one thing that I had been praying for, uh, for my ordination was praying for kind of that boldness, um, in ministry because I didn't want to, and I don't want to go through this time of ministry, looking back on my life, thinking I'm just a fraud or a phony, or I can't do this, or God didn't really call me to this, or that um, I can't do this because I'm completely inadequate. And I have to look at it like that I am, and I know we've talked about this before, but that I am, in me accepting this calling, is simply just just a tool or an instrument for God to use. You know, nothing, absolutely nothing comes because of me. It's just, here is a hammer, or here's a, here's a wrench, or pliers, and it, that's just a tool, and it doesn't do anything until you pick it up and you use it. You know, the work doesn't come out of the tool, it's just the, it's just the outlet through which the work is accomplished. And that's how I have to see it. And I know nothing comes from me. I know right after my, my ordination that morning, right before my ordination, uh, Dan Lawrence was in charge and he goes, okay, we're going to have the opening song. We're going to have your ordination. And then I'm going to ask you and your grandpa to do some administrations. And I mean, boom, yes. it was right there. Yes. Yes. But <clears throat> your first official act as an elder took place how long after your ordination? 15 seconds. I mean, I literally <laughs> got up from the chair and walked over, did an administration, but the the point being is that uh, you know, it wasn't anything that, that I, you know, if, if they receive a blessing, it wasn't anything that I did. I am just a tool or an instrument to be used, and, and you know, the tools can get dinged up, and they have their imperfections, and sometimes you got to polish the rust off of them, and um, and, and but but God take and, and and people that do the work they take care of their tools and make sure they're in good shape and they they make sure that their tools are working properly and and can, and God can do the same with me and yeah I've got a, another example of that and yeah. I don't mean this in any derogatory sense uh, in the military you salute the rank not the man mm-hmm. and so so it's like it's like you don't want to respect that man. Maybe you don't think he's earned it. Yeah. You know, but but God has decreed this thing. There are witnesses. It is accepted. And we're not saying that that man has any authority or power. We're saying that the rank does. We're saying that that calling did. Yeah. That God has power to do this through whoever he chooses. And we don't salute the man. We, we know men are, are frail, weak things. We do salute the rank, I guess, that military perspective. No, I understand what you mean. And it's it's... There's a responsibility that comes with that rank, but also it's not, uh, we can know, uh, and we are, um, asked to know people and look at people by their fruit. So we can know if there is validity, uh, maybe I don't know what I'm trying to say is that the, the man and the rank are completely separated in the sense of, I know that. I know that I am absolutely nothing, and nothing of this office comes from me. Nothing that happens is of me. I'm just simply just an instrument or a tool laying there on the workbench to use, and that's it. Like, I I am completely inadequate in every other way, but I think that 
we can recognize and I've recognized in other people uh, when that fruit is doing work. And so we yeah. may not salute the rank, yes. but we can work. T- we can recognize that work in each other or recognize that fruit in each other to validate the rank that was given. And, and um, I, I don't want to say validate the rank that was given in that I'm, I or any other minister is worthy of that. Just for the example of if, if I was, I can't do. We should stop saying rank, though. We should say office. Office. Excuse me. Yeah, like you got that. me on the rank. I put, well, I put that metaphor out there, and now it's kind of lingered too much. And I want to stop saying that when That's I say good. office. No, you're right, because it's office not a rank. Of elder, yeah, the office it's, of it's elder office. is something that God has ordained. Yes. And we, he has these uh, responsibilities and, and ordinances that he can perform. And so it doesn't matter which elder administers to you. That's the power of God. So hundred. A hundred thousand percent. You're right. It's there is no rank. It is just. It is just. Uh, it is just a specific calling to responsibility. You have a certain set of responsibilities to fulfill one or the, duties to fulfill. One of the things that has come out of that is th- th- this uh, calling, especially, is I just happen to have two uh, apostles living with my mom for uh, for this time period, uh, and they were helping uh, uh, Brian move. Jay and Brian were over at my mom's house. So, I mean, I was picking their brain constantly and, and yeah. asking them, how does this work? How does this, what happens next? And what's it? And, and just, just, I'm sure they were sick of it, but I had all these questions. What was interesting to me, and, and this is a good time to bring it up and we can get back, but one of the things you said when you were talking to me is you were leaving it up to the apostles to decide. And if, and in, in your, in your inside of you were saying, hey, if they say, hey, this is no call, not a true calling, fine by me. I'm okay with that. I want what God wants. And, yeah. and they say no. One of the things I talked to them about was saying, if, you know, and sometimes, and to, to be clear to uh, people outside the church or in our, inside our church, mostly people inside our church know this, but it goes to the apostles to, uh, or the apostle in charge of that uh, field, because we divide up, up into, the, but in, in any case, the apostles have to make this decision and they do this from a pure uh, governance type stance. They measure the witnesses and there's really not a spirit of God influence involved in this decision. What they do, if you feel like you have a testimony or a witness to thing to, to a calling for or against, you remove yourself from the equation and you tell the apostles about it. And then you let other people who have no spiritual you know, uh, uh, leanings to come up with the final say. Their job is to look at the evidence from a strictly non-spiritual point and say, is there reason for or against by man's way of judging? Do we accept this or do we not? Is there evidence? What do the scriptures say? Have we met all the requirements? Do we check all the boxes? As soon as one apostle says, I do have a witness for this, they are absolved from being on that decision-making process of checking boxes, they are now a witness or testimony. Mm-hmm. So so it's very interesting to me that when we say it goes to the apostles, we're really not. We're saying it goes to these men and their office as being the leaders of the, the church. They take that, that nature of apostle out of it. They want to be just men in that point in time in the process. Very interesting to me. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point uh, to bring up in kind of this process leading up to ordination especially for the office, not rank, office of elder, because I, throughout this process, have said that, you know, I never received one 
witness against the calling or someone telling me that this wasn't right. So that checked off a box for me. You know, I asked for a, a specific witness, you know, and, and I got it. And I, that checked off the box for me. I was completely willing. And I don't care about my um, pride or humiliation or anything. I was straight up praying and willing that if this wasn't right, I would hope the apostles would shoot it down or say, no, we don't think it's the right time. I would gladly accept that. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing when the local votes on if they'll accept you know, your ministry into that local, uh, if they, if the local would have voted it down, I straight up would have accepted that and didn't just kind of wash my hands of it, not went home and, you know, ate a tub of ice cream and sat on the couch and cried my eyes out. Like I would have been like, Hey, Oh, like I respect the decision, you know? And it might've been, it might've been more of a celebratory tub of ice cream. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. And, uh, and yeah, I would have got the good stuff for that. But, uh, but everything worked. And everything pointed to that it was right. And everything has worked in my life. You know, and we well, we can talk about this and how much we prepare for a typical sermon. But this is going to be a long-form uh, podcast, I can already tell. But Yeah, I'm having fun. <clears throat> this is good. But, you so know. Are you ready for question two? You want me to bring that No, hold on. Okay, We're okay. still going strong on one. So I could tell you that, you know, there was a lot of that feeling of, of inadequacy. And, you know, how can I preach to someone? And I, I will fully admit to anyone who asks that, you know, in my past and in past times, and, and I'll probably talk about this in, in my first sermon, but, you know, I, I have been a, a terrible husband, an absolutely terrible husband to my wife. I've been an, an irresponsible father. I've been a horrible representative representative of Christ to other people. There's gonna There could be people from years and years ago that would see me preaching behind the pulpit and without any context or knowing anything, walk in and say, I can't believe you're letting that guy stand up there, da-da-da-da-da. And so I've really, I, you know, and I feel that that real sense of inadequacy of of um, those kind of things that I did and have done and kind of just, um, I, I look, I know I've been forgiven of of my sins, and I know that there's a lot of things in my life that I've changed. And look, I've com- I've been compelled to repent before. And I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, until I fixed things in my life, and that was years ago, and it, years ago, and and there was a time where, at the time, it was D. A. Vogel. He was the Sunday school superintendent, and I mean, it was so bad that my wife, who was not a member of the church, at the time was getting up and taking my very small children to Sunday school to learn because she thought it was important for them to learn that stuff while I slept in from whatever I was doing the night before. And D.A. Vogel was talking to me and asking me about coming to Sunday school, and I told him that school was for Monday through Friday. I'm not spending my weekends doing school stuff. And a couple years later, <laughs> a couple years later, after more stuff went down and I changed a lot about it, I was doing, there was a good, there was a portion of uh, my life where I didn't want to go to church. I didn't really care. And I was doing my own thing. I didn't care about really, really treat my wife well or really care about our marriage in that aspect. And I was compelled to repent. And it was, is the worst. I, I hope no one, and I will talk about this in my first sermon. I know I will. 
but I hope no one has to do that. And it changed my life. And slowly but surely, here I am coming back to church. And I remember something. I was coming back, and I was spending more time at church and reading and studying. And you approached me one night and said, Hey, I need you to play bass guitar. And I said, I don't know how to play bass guitar. And you said, well, you got two weeks to learn. And that 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 helped integrate me back into that fellowship and hanging out with with church people, and you know I was still uh, really questioning a lot of things in my life at that you know at that time. And we look back that was that was years ago, and um, it doesn't seem like that long. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was at, at least I mean it was three or four years ago at least. And there's been a lot of changes. But the funny thing is. I went from telling DA that school is for Monday through Friday and I'm not spending my Sundays in school to being Sunday school superintendent, being assistant Sunday school superintendent and then uh, Sunday school superintendent for a couple of years now. My mother-in-law would tell you my my son has been the Sunday school superintendent. Yeah. My son-in-law has been the Sunday school superintendent, but Cody has been the best Sunday no, school no, superintendent. No, no, no. <laughs> She now, likes you more than her son and her son-in-law. Well, <clears throat> so you, you took to that role and ran with it, and and it's affected people's lives. So we appreciate that. Well, th- this is what I'm. Th- so I want to make another point. Yeah, uh, when we do things together as a church community, and, and we do uh, whether it's a, a f- what, whatever the motivations are, when we build friendships outside of you know Sunday morning, Sunday evening. God recognizes that 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 counts. That yeah. builds on what He's asking us to do and be it be a, you know, I hate to say community of Christ, but that that does fit and it's rolling off my tongue right now. But that community, that togetherness, those friendships, God, you know, that's what that's what the gospel of Christ is built on. Yeah, and, and the scripture that counts. No, you're right, and I can't quote this off the top of my head. I don't remember where this is at, but. Yeah, um, it's uh, you know the scriptures tell us about you know, basically who we associate with and who we hang out with and and you know uh, and it, it plays an important role in our lives and uh, one of the biggest things and uh, sorry to take everyone's time about my calling this really isn't about I guess this is a podcast talking about this stuff but I don't want to make it all about me and yada 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 this but, literally is all about okay you. but still you know that feeling of inadequacy and knowing that what I've learned and, and, you know, kind of where my focus is and what my priority is in life. Um, and everything that's happened in my life, the person most at peace with this and the most, the person that's been the most encouraging and it's like, this is right. And I know this is right. And God told me like years ago that this was going to happen and this is right. And she never, ever told me about that was my wife. And if she supports me and she knows that, that and she knows that and she has that confidence that peace about it i mean that that's good enough for me and and this okay so this all leads back to what i was saying earlier i was praying for that uh, i was praying that um that you know i could feel god's spirit during my ordination and that i could have that boldness and then um somebody had mentioned that they were going to be praying for me to have lots of patience and charity in my ministry because I need it. And it's true. And so I was praying for that too. And I thank that person for doing it. But, you know, I wanted to have that boldness 
and I because I don't want to I don't want to doubt. I don't want to have that doubt. I want to be able to hit my 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 mind and things that I've said and when I'm thinking about this or praying about this, I, I picture a a car and this car is um, spinning its tires and it's revving up and it's reaching red line. It's just ready to bust out of the gate and go. And that's kind of what I, that's the, along the lines of what I was praying for and that I could go do whatever God wanted me to do. I could just go do it. Like, like God has a work for me to do and I'm going to do it. And I just want to do it right. And I want to do it according to how God wants it done. And man, right out of the gate, I got up from the chair and went over and did two administrations. I mean, it's been right to work. Last Sunday, baby blessing. Sunday night, another administration. It's just boom, boom, boom. And it's going to be, and then the 14th is my first sermon, which we can get into with number two. But I'm not trying to, uh, 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 this is a really long way of saying that all of this, all of these experiences and all of the conversations and all the all, all, all my past and and now my present and going into the future all, all these things kind of uh kind of kind of culminated into me being able to accept this call and i knew a couple days before my ordination i think it was the, the day or two before that after i was going to be ordained there was going to be administration and that i was going to be asked to do it and you know i don't think god had spoke to me i didn't hear god's voice but it was that was kind of like impressed upon me and and that's how God has worked with me in my life in these and in this time frame of you know it's just kind of through the little things and through these little experiences where you know I asked for this and was asking for this witness and I got the text to the witness um, you know or or, or it just all, how these little experiences that I've had through my life. Um, and, and God has kind of worked with me in that way, and I can see Him working with me now, even um, even before uh, my first sermon, or e- even a couple days before my ordination. God is working with me in these little ways that that show me, kind of direct me where I need to go, or prepare me for something. And that I, that could be a good segue into number two. Okay, but yeah, how long or how much do you prepare for a typical sermon, and how many sermons have you preached? Okay, so I've preached zero sermons, <laughs> and my preparation. This is and this is what I wanted to talk about. My my first sermon is going to be on February fourteenth, which is Valentine's Day. This sounds like a commercial. It does. Everybody should come. Everybody should come. Come listen to Cody preach Sunday. Now Sunday, listen, it's, Sunday. Yeah, it could be a one and done thing. We'll see what everybody thinks. But <laughs> that's the last time we ever. It's the last time, but. Um, so I was uh, I was reading a book, and uh, this book was talking about grace and love and different things. It was the uh, it was the the Epic of Eden book. I've heard that book mentioned a yeah. lot lately. So I was reading that book, and there was a there was a passage that that uh, I was reading that kind of stuck with me, and uh, kind of uh, persisted in my mind. That talked about grace and and love, and this was a month or two before I was even called, and it was just kind of stuck with me and something that I that I had been thinking about, and and you just kind of mulling over in my mind, and trying to reconcile these things with you know how I believe or what the scriptures say, and just kind of thinking about it, not knowing at all that I was going to be very shortly called to the ministry. And 
it, it basically it's just a concept centered around God's love. And I had been taking notes on this, or j- just kind of uh, mental notes and kind of uh, thinking about these things and pondering these things. And then the call happened. And between the time that I had my calling to my ordination, I had six pages of notes that I had took on this topic that had been persisted with me. And I'm so... Um, this is going to be a long sermon. No, it won't. 14th. No, no, no. These, when I say six pages, notes, it's like whenever I think of something, I have a thought come into my head. I would be laying in bed at like three in the morning. I would think of something. And I'd roll over to my phone and open up my pages and type something down. So it was a thought or kind yeah. of something that I wanted to check on. And <clears> so... He, this is me, and, and and this and this all ties together. I'm sorry before we get into the scriptures and all this stuff, but this ties together with the calling and my feelings about this, and my feelings of inadequacy and in being able to do this, and and is this something God really wants me to do? And and this is a, this is a basically a topic about God's love, and my sermon I know is going to be about God's love, and. So I'm talking to, I've talked to others about this, and we've kind of, you and I have gone back and forth about this, and I was talking to Amy about this, and I was telling her the the um, topic of what I wanted to talk about and what's been on my mind and how I've been taking these notes. So how did it feel when Jeff preached your sermon? Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> so Jeff, he stopped preaching my sermon. I got more. There's more in store than that, but he, he did a great, he did a really great job of that, I, I think. But I, I said... I told Amy about what I was going to preach on stuff. She goes, you know, you're, I have a feeling your first sermon is going to be on the 14th. And I said, Valentine's Day, really? Wouldn't that be, you know, whatever? <laughs> and we laughed it off. And Saturday, I got a text from Dan, and he said, hey, would you be available to preach on the 14th, the morning of February 14th? And I immediately replied back and said, yep. And I showed it to Amy, and she basically just gave me the I told you so look. Man. So... So I so I I have been preparing for this sermon without knowing it for a month or two at <laughs> least but then when I did know it I have been taking notes and scriptures and thoughts that have come to mind uh since my since my calling really and have been kind of thinking about that but I still got a couple weeks to put it together but we'll see how that goes. Okay, what do your scriptures look like? Okay. I love this question because of the diversity of the answers from all the other podcasts, there are some people that have notes marked up in their scriptures. Some people don't. And I am, and it seems to be divided. Like there's nobody that says really, I have maybe one or two markings. It's either I have a ton of notes and I have stuff or I, I keep them pretty clean. Yeah. And I am in the pretty clean camp. My scripture. Kevin McGee and you are buddies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my scriptures look, uh, immaculate. Hmm. Now, uh, a couple, uh, here, this is probably 2017. I wanted to, you know, I was coming back to church, uh, uh, you know, I was doing all this stuff and I decided I wanted just to sit down and just do a one read through of the Book of Mormon, just straight through. So I was reading through it and things would stick out to me like, oh, this is neat or this is going to make me think about this topic or this is going to make me think about this you know, this makes me think about this concept, or I like this verse, or I like this um, th- this passage, or, or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And so I got a spiral notebook and just started writing down things. And so I have pages and pages in the spiral notebook of 
something neat, you know, exclamation, exclamation point, yeah. reference, reference. Yeah, I've done that. I've got, I think I've got a spiral notebook, and I was just like, I read it, and I made my own thumbnail sketch of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Where I just like, I'm reading it, and this is what this is about. Yes. And I want it, yeah. Yeah, so I did that, um, and and um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, well, I didn't do that for the Bible. Uh, I, when I started reading straight through the Bible, I didn't do the same thing because what I found was anything that I thought about or a concept, I could just Google it and find it in right, two seconds. Right. Everything <laughs> is so available for the Bible. And I'm like, I could just, I mean, I search it, I think about it, I search it, even if it's just like vaguely on topic, and boom, it's right there. So I didn't do the same thing for the Bible, but I bought a new Book of Mormon um, years ago. Everything in this podcast apparently is years ago, but I bought this Book of Mormon, and because the first one I had, I was a young teenager, and the topic of baptism was you know prevalent as a young teenager and especially for church camp so i had just went through and found where it verses of where it just the word baptism was and i took a highlighter in my first book of mormon and i just started i just highlighted these verses where it was so i can find them well it mentioned baptism but that really isn't in the spirit of studying about what baptism was so now and before I bought this Book of Mormon, I would go through and look in the Book of Mormon, and I flip it, and there's just some random verse that had the word baptism in it, highlighted in yellow, and it was kind of really annoying to me that I did that <laughs> because there's like a permanency about it, yeah, where I can't ever get rid of it, and so, um, so I just never went back and marked up my new Book of Mormon or or my new Bible. the The only thing I have marked up is the Greek definition of grace in my strong's dictionary that's the only thing i have underlined and if there's one other thing that's underlined maybe in my old bible it's one of my favorite script or in my old book mormon excuse me is one of my favorite scriptures that we'll talk about here shortly and maybe that's the only other one that i underlined but um but the the definition of grace in my uh strong's dictionary that greek definition is underlined where We've talked about it before, which is the. Should I ask you? Are you going to have this? Or, or? No, no, that's fine. No, I, I don't have it on the scripture. You're going to bring it up later. Okay. No, I'm just looking at you doing it's that, like, and it's should, making me blank. Do, do you want me to ask you no. what that is? Because I would like to interject what the definition of grace is. But interject, not, please. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to say something. No, but see, that's what I was waiting for. This is going to get edited out. That's we're fine. This out. That's fine. Uh, so, uh, can you share a few of the, your favorite scriptures with us, and what is the message that you like about each verse? Yeah, so. Okay, I have 10, maybe really 11, but but we'll get into it and we'll start simple. The first one is James, uh, James chapter 2. This is 14 through 26. I really like the book of James, and I know a lot of people do like the book of James, but when I read James, uh, I read James as if he's saying this to me, and I can picture me telling this to myself, like kind of knocking some sense into me, but it's James uh chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 and that's a lot but the but the um but the overall theme of these verses is uh faith without works and faith and works and uh and, and you know it, it, this goes through examples of you know Abraham having faith you know in verse 21 but um really the the one that I would key in on is verse 18 and it says yea a man may say thou hast faith and i have works Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. 
and it's and I love this this passage here because it says it talks about you know works and faith so plainly, not that you know if, if we when we have this faith or if we have this faith this true faith in, in Christ and following Christ, our works are representative of that faith. Our works are the manifestation of a changed heart. So when we have and this is. This goes back to what um, that thought that I was talking about when we got sidetracked by rank and office in in the calling. When I was talking about you know you can see the fruit of people, mm-hmm. you can uh, you can recognize that changed heart, or you can see people that have that changed heart, uh, and their works um, uh, their works are a representation of that faith. And I really, really, it's very plain and simple to me here in James because I know there's a ton of. Um, grace and and works and faith, uh, especially in uh, it seems to be more prevalent nowadays. And th- this this really speaks to me on a very simplistic level, and helps me to understand that that when it talks about being you know um, that how works are required or received by that grace, which is that as you know the divine influence upon the heart and the basically our evidence in life of that you know this this shows me that these works that i have are, are because of that faith and that change of heart that grace that god gives us not something that that i can do um kind of just going through the motions and not really not really uh having that faith or that belief in christ people can do good things but the good works that it talks about, which is following Christ's commandments, are done out of faith and belief in Him. I'm not saying people can't do good things. I don't know if that makes sense mm-hmm. to what, what I'm telling you. But when we measure fruit, and, and a lot of that that process that God does, the best way I heard that same argument was the, the seed. Yeah. You know, we grow yes. into something. And we, and eventually, you're going to see the fruit of it. Well, the fruit and that is your works, and and yes. that happens because you have this influence of God on your heart, and it's all one step more, one step more, your whole life. Yes, and you know, you can go read the definition of the fruit of the spirit, and it talks about the first thing it talks about is the very first thing it mentions is what love. It says love. Okay. And that love, we can go look at the two greatest commandments to love God and love each other. Mm-hmm. That love, that it, there's an underlying theme there because think of what actions we could do, what works that we do in following Christ that doesn't, that isn't enveloped by that theme or that action or the heart of towards love, towards other people or towards God. It's like all encompassing. Mm-hmm. And so, when you have that love for God and for others, your works show that. And I, I just love, I just love reading that thing in James, uh, James two eighteen. Um, it, it just really speaks to me on a simplistic level, and I really like it. And there's probably deeper meanings, but no one's ever accused me of being the smartest guy in the room. So, um, the, the next one that I have is uh, this is Matthew fifteen twenty one through twenty eight. I really like. Jesus's parables and Jesus's interactions with with the uh, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. I really like it because he's a really smart guy, and I can read, <laughs> I can read through this th- through the through the Gospels or through his interactions, 
And I can, I can kind of chuckle to myself because he knows what to say and it can shut him up and it can shut him up. Not because he's smart or, uh, or have, has the, uh, has the ability to speak like a lawyer, but because they know he's right. They know he's right. And, and they're mad at him for it. They end up (laughs) killing him for it, but he's right. And it makes me chuckle when I read some of these things. And, this is one of them that that's on the flip side. This is the this is uh, Christ's interaction with the Gentile woman, and and you know she comes to him. This is Matthew fifteen twenty one through twenty eight, and I love this story, and and it says then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil, but. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. What an incredible story that is. And I love, I just love that story. And I can picture this woman, and there's a lot of things in here that I that I take out of this. And we all know that Christ was sent here to for the Jews, and he says this here, basically, it's, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. No, he's talking about the Jews being these people and and they're being given the the in my opinion what is basically the bread of life you know and 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 it's it's not meant for it's not meant for the dogs basically under the table and he's calling this he's calling this woman a dog but when and people will say oh well and maybe he meant a puppy or whatever he says cast it to dogs <laughs> yeah and so so here's this woman she I, in my mind i'm imagining how desperate she is she knows that you know she knows that her daughter is it says grievously vexed with the devil and you know she's something is wrong with her, and she has a love and concern for her, and she's going to Christ because she knows he can heal her. She knows it, and he comes, to, and then she comes uh, to them, and and uh, and he he didn't say a thing at first. He didn't answer, not one thing. Then his disciples bug him and say, "Come on, do something because she's bugging us." And he says, and but then he finally answered and said, "He's not sent." unto anybody except for the law she was not doing it and then she came and worshiped him she came again before him and said she's at this point she says worshiped and i can just see her saying this saying lord help me she is desperate she mm-hmm. she th- this is this is the only way that she knows that her daughter can be helped no uh, no one else is going to help her daughter and i don't know this but i assume she's probably went to the physicians of the day or other people and and then Christ says something to her in her time of her, of her time of desperation. I mean, she it, she says, "Lord, help me." And what does he say to her? It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And how does she react to that? How would yeah, I react to that? There's the next thing you've just been rebuked. How would I? How would I react to that if this person who I recognize has this power that? Uh, maybe I don't 
know or understand exactly who he is, but I know I have faith that he can do this and have faith that um, he is Christ. And, and, and maybe I don't know how to say it exactly because I'm picturing myself in that position where now she has a decision. She has a decision to take it and be offended by it and, and, and leave and say, you can't call me that, or I'm not a dog. Who are you to say that to me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And she puts everything aside and says, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She recognizes what he said, that she is not worthy of that. Mm-hmm. And instead of, instead of taking it the wrong way, she doubles down, in my opinion, and and rec- is in recognition of that, and recognize that even there's even just that little she can receive just that little blessing. And he said, "O woman, great is thy faith; be it unto thee, even as that will." Jesus recognized that complete humbleness. And That's where I was going to say that, yeah, that she com- had no pride in her none. whatsoever. He recognized, and you can you can understand where there was kind of that line drawn in the sand. And that's kind of how I read it. Others may read it a different way, but there, she, she, she had a complete humbleness and faith about her, and recognizing that, and she got her blessing. And can you imagine how happy and amazed she is with that? And so I, I really do, I really do like that story. And um, every time I read it, it kind of just brings a smile to my face. The next one is uh, along the same lines. There, there's a couple that are along the same lines, but I want to go to Alma. I want to jump over to the Book of Mormon for this. I should have done these in order so we're not switching books, but it's Alma uh, 3, uh, 47 through 56. It's on page 316 for those who like the pages, and for others who are listening, it's Alma three forty-seven through 56. Now, this is one that I had talked about earlier, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, which uh, I think I had actually underlined in my other <laughs> Book of Mormon, but it says, Have you walked keeping yourself blameless before God? Could you say if you recall to die at this time within yourselves that you have been sufficiently humble, that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, which will come to redeem his people from their sins? Behold, are you stripped of pride? I say unto you, if you are not, you are not prepared to meet God. It says, Behold, you must prepare quickly, for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand, and as such an one hath not eternal life. Behold, I say, is there one among you who is not stripped of envy? Stripped of envy? Can't talk. I say unto you that such an one is not prepared, and I would that he should prepare quickly, for the hour is close at hand, and he knoweth not when the time shall come, for such an one is not found guiltless. And there's just uh, two more verse, three more verses for this. And again, I say unto you, is there one among you that doth make a mock of his brother, or that heapeth upon him persecutions? Woe unto such an one, for he is not prepared, and the time is at hand that he must repent, or he cannot be saved. Yea, even woe unto all ye workers of iniquity, repent, repent, for the Lord God hath spoken it. This is one that that really sticks out to me and hits me personally, because this tells us right here, it asks us if we've been sufficiently humble. Are we stripped of pride? Are we free from envy? Are we? Do we make a mock of our brother or heap on, on him persecutions? But, but verse fifty, verse fifty-five and fifty-six speak the message that um, it says that for if we do these things, we're not prepared. But the time is at hand that we must repent. 
or we cannot be saved. And 56 is telling to me, Yea, even woe unto all ye workers of iniquity. Repent, repent, for the Lord God hath spoken it. We see this theme throughout the scriptures. And when I interact with people, I need to remember this. Not that I am not humble or that I'm not stripped of pride because I need to strip myself of pride and I need to be humble and I need to not envy. And, but the fact that I need to remember that and not just focus on myself. But like verse 56 says, it's not saying everybody that's trying to follow Christ and maybe is struggling with sin or everybody that thinks that they're trying to do right but isn't. He's saying, Woe unto all ye workers of iniquity. Repent, repent, for the Lord God hath spoken it. God is reaching out to people, and he's saying, you, even if you're working iniquity, this is your opportunity to repent. He's saying, he's telling people, you can go back and read just like we said. It's not, he's not just telling us, uh, that he's not just asking us, have we, or do we walk blameless? Are we stripped of pride? Are we stripped of envy? He's telling people that the people that are working iniquity, that are these things in their, that are have these things in their life that you would consider iniquity, that aren't following God. He's saying that this is your chance to repent. And here, here's these things about being humble, about being prideful, about walking blameless, about being envious. They're all things that are of a carnal mindset. And he's he's speaking not just to us. But to people that are that are are you know in this um, iniquitous I don't know if that's a word iniquitous state, and I have to remember that if I ever have the opportunity to go to somebody and talk to them outside of the church, or or talk to somebody that is in kind of that state of mind that he is talking to both of us at the same time. I can't approach it saying, "Look, you have to come to our church or follow Christ." And here I am, this minister. I am. Uh, you know, I'm going to be this example for you to follow. We are both in the same boat. He's talking yeah. to he's talking to both of us. Uh, Donald Gill in his in his um, uh, podcast that he recorded with you, he one of his scriptures that he read was in Jeremiah, where it talks about Jeremiah being lowered down into the mire. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We are all, we are all in the mire. <clears throat> yeah. And and. We can read this, and we take it. We take it personally, and we we look at it to use to examine ourselves. And I use look at it and it, to use and examine myself as well as we should. And his point was, it's just you and God. It's not you and me. Yes. It's not you and that guy. Yes. It's just you and God. Yes. And and verse fifty seven, and I know that's outside, but he says, "Behold, he sendeth an invitation unto all men." For the arms of mercy are extended towards them, and he saith, Repent, and I will receive you. That is for you. That is for me. That is for the people that are workers of iniquity. People that are out there, we can make a list, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I read this, I have to remember that this is for everyone. And, in fact, this this is probably some of the stuff I'm going to be using in my first sermon as well. I'm going to have to remember this one. But uh, th- this is one of my favorite because it speaks not only to me, but it's one that can speak to everyone. And uh, I-, I can use it, too, uh, as a kind of a check uh, check and balance, I would say, in my life. And I I feel like I don't you know meet up to this, and I know I need to be sufficiently humble in my life. Uh, any comments on that, or I'm going to go to the next one. 
the only comment I have would be that the culture, the cancel culture in, in our society would not, would not conform to this. I mean, they, the, the, especially that, that heap of persecution on your brother, it, it's, that's how we get you to conform Yeah, is by saying, pointing fingers and saying, you know, attacking them on social media until they believe like us. And this other way in the scriptures is saying, all of us are in the same boat. We are all inclusive and we all fall short. Come on over to church. Yes. And I think one of the favorite things I saw was how it's kind of changing the mindset of people that go to church. It's not that it's not that the people at church are righteous. They're just the ones that recognize that they need it the most. Yeah. You know, we go to church because we recognize that we aren't stripped of pride. We aren't sufficiently humble. We envy. We like to mock our brother. We, you know, yeah, it's, I, it's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Yes, it is definitely not a museum for saints. I can tell you that right now. And so this speaks to, and you can go back and you read before and after, and there's great messages in it, obviously. But this speaks not only to ourselves, but this speaks to people that in in all walks of life and out there. And it's basically a call to repentance for myself and that can be applicable to others and it's something good that you even could be a conversation starter to talk to somebody about. So, I mean, you're not going to go up to them and be like, Hey, are you sufficiently humble? You know, but you know, but if, but if people are wanting to talk about, you know, ways to change their life or examples of what they can do. And you know, these are deeper conversations, but this is, I think it's just applicable to everyone. So I really like it. Let me cross this off my list here. The next one, as I cross this off is in Jerem. Uh, this is Jerem. in Jerem. Yeah, this that is doesn't in, exist. It does exist. This is in Jerem, chapter one, verse twenty-eight. Are you trying to impress us by knowing? No, 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 no. This is one that I used in a study for Sunday school years ago. That's always stuck with me. And this is Jerem, verse one, uh, or excuse me, Jerem, chapter one. There's only one chapter, uh, verse twenty-eight. And it's on page one ninety-nine, and this is talking about basically how the Nephites are prospering because they are keeping the commandments they are the um the it says in verse 23 that the prophets of the lord are threatening nephi or threatening the people of nephi according to the word of god basically uh, and in verse 24 the prophets and the priests and the teachers they labor diligently exhorting with all long suffering the people to diligence they're teaching the law of moses basically it's doing what they need to do and they're being taught but verse 28 says for they did prick their hearts with the word, continually stirring them up unto repentance. And we read and we in the scriptures and we talk and we listen to sermons about the importance of spending time in the word. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. and here it's giving us an example where the, 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 the Nephites, the people there, they are through their teaching and through their, their diligence in keeping this law, they are pricking their hearts with the word, continually stirring them up into repentance. So then I ask myself, am, am, am I, is my heart being pricked that continually stirs me up into repentance? Am I spending the time I need to reading my scriptures or and or spending time in church listening to sermons where I'm being exhorted or admonished? Am I spending time in prayer? 
Am, is my heart being pricked by the word so that I can continually be stirred up to repentance? Because I'll tell you what, I need it. Well, you know, people don't want that. People want to go to a church that makes them feel good, not yes. go to a church that pricks their heart and tells them they're bad. Right. And But it's not about pricking your heart and telling telling well, us we're bad. Yeah, and yeah, but the message of repentance is one of obedience. So so if we are if we have a heart that is changed towards God, then we are being obedient out of love. We are reciprocating God's love back to him that he's already given us whether we're obedient or not. Right. That and, that level is kind of next level thinking. Get beyond this to why are you repenting? Right. Why because of what he's done for you, what you feel you feel compelled to, to and you're 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 face to face with your sin and you want to stop doing that you know yes not that you want that's what the the you're supposed to get over this man i always feel guilty you always feel bad yeah i don't want to feel bad anymore so i'm not going to go to that church i'm going to go to a church that makes me not feel like that yeah it has a message of joy and love well the message of joy and love is kind of next level beyond the repentance you're yes gonna repent because you love yes you repent because you love and and just like we read in the last example, and that's why I grouped these together in Alma 3, it said, this is a message of, okay, person reading this, are you stripped of pride? Then you stop and think, man, I kind of have been pretty prideful lately. You know, there's been a lot of things where I just can't admit that I'm wrong. Or I've really gotten after someone because I just know I'm right. I don't care if they're offended or not. I know I'm right. And if and they can go fly a kite, you know, or I don't want to admit something to God or that I have a problem with something because it, I can handle it. It's not something that it's not something that I need to I need to you know work on in my life or whatever it is. I mean, there's a million examples of pride, and and when we read those things, those are the things that make us stop and think and think. You know what? It's probably something I need to change in my life. And repentance is a lifelong thing. Uh, it, it's something that we're constantly working on and that we do daily. I do daily. I mean, I, I got frustrated today about something, you know? I mean, I, I could give you a, a ton of examples about things I'm still imperfect on and working in my life, but how am I going to know that I need to repent or get those reminders if I'm not spending the time in the Word or at church listening to those sermons or however we consume the Word of God? And it's not it's not just this message of, God loves you, and, and which He does, you know. Or, but just that it, it's not just this feel-good stuff. It's a recognition that there is something there that you have yet to obtain, but yet you are required to obtain. But you want to obtain it because you want to show that you love God, not because you're trying to earn God's love or earn His right. favor. You'll never you, get there. Well, yeah, I mean. God's already God already loves you. He loves you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the but the point is that do we love God back? Jesus in John I think it's 14 or 17. You know Jesus said very plainly, if you love me, yeah. keep my commandments, right? And that's so simple. And it's it's not because he says you have to do what I say. He says if you love, do you love me? Then just do what I say. And so when we read the Word, we think, I really love Christ. I love the fact that He gave His life for me. I don't deserve it. I feel very inadequate every day that God did that and that Christ did that. And I can't understand it. It's hard for me to understand that. 
So how can I show God that I appreciate that sacrifice, that I appreciate the opportunity that he gave me to repent, that I don't have to be stoned for my sin? Like, like okay, I have an opportunity to repent, to change my life, to make it better, to have my sins thrown into the depths of the ocean, be wiped away, and I can change my life. How do I do that? It's through that obedience, it's through reciprocating that love that God's already shown to us by loving him through faith and by keeping his commandments. And so when so if we don't if we're not reading these things, like the Nephites were there, it's they weren't it wasn't um and, and you know, they were following the Mosaic law. You can see in verse twenty four it says, teaching the law of Moses, blah blah blah. It doesn't say in verse twenty eight that, you know, they were pricked and making sure that they did the right sacrifices with the right you know, animals, and I'm sure that's, you know, that was part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get what I'm saying. I'm not belittling that. But it says they, they pricked their hearts. Verse 25, they believed in him to come as though he already was. They yes. had a better understanding yes. than they did in Jerusalem. Right, and it made them prick their hearts with the word, and which stirred them up unto what? Unto repentance, mm-hmm. unto this recognition that that there is something there that needs to be done outside of the yeah. definition of grace yes uh, you know that, that it moves in your heart it moves and changes affects your heart divinely affects your heart and that's what that that pricking of your heart that they're talking about to repentance that's god doing that yes that means you're on the right path yes and and yes and hopefully my sermon will get more into that but it's going to be it's going to be a fired up sermon so i All hope right. uh, but let Along those same lines, let's stay in the Book of Mormon. Let's go to Ether chapter five, verses twenty-eight. Now, this is uh, this is something that others have used, but I really you asked for my favorite, and this is one of my favorite, and I really like it. And it's Ether chapter five, verse twenty-eight. It's on page seven forty-eight, and this is uh, twenty-eight and twenty-nine. But it says, "I give unto men weakness that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me." For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness, and I will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. There's been people on this podcast before that have talked about this, talked about the meaning of this and what it, what it means to them and what it says. But I know that I have weaknesses and just if you want to not even scratch the deeper meaning of this, everyone relates to this scripture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you read it, yeah. and your mind instantly goes to those things that you struggle with or that you're weak, and think about those things. If we didn't have those things, when would we go to God? When would we go to him and... and, 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 and uh, there's a there's one that if we get to a great if we don't and we had talked about this before. We're hitting all of them. Okay, we're hitting all. Of them. Well, that's fine. We can talk about that later then. But this works for your weaknesses. Work for your spiritual salvation. That doesn't mean you may be tempted by things. You may be weak in things or quick to. You know, I have a short fuse. I can get uh, you know I can get fired up really quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between struggling through and overcoming temptation and giving into sin. Yeah. Temptation isn't something, uh, I don't want to say this in, in the wrong way, temptation isn't something that, uh, temptation is there to make us stronger. These weaknesses here are there to make us stronger. It's when we give into sin that really gets us in trouble. If we never were tempted about anything, 
and, it, and there's scriptures that back this up, if we were never were tempted or put through trials or have had to confront our weaknesses, and that's what I'm keying in on, if we never had to confront our weaknesses, a recognition of our weakness does what? It keeps us humble, right? Like it says in there, it makes us come to God, and it gives us that recognition, like it says in the Book of Mormon, that we're, we're nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And those work those work in a positive manner if we allow them to. They work positively in our lives to bring us closer to God. Now, on the flip side, our weaknesses, if we aren't in the mindset of coming to God, our weaknesses, we, uh, we continue in those weaknesses, then, you know, we continue in, and we, we, those come to fruition in sin, and then in lifestyles, and in all this different stuff. And so, uh, sorry, I don't know if you're going to say something or not. No, yeah, just, just that was kind of my thoughts. Is that you know this yeah, this okay. works po- this works positively for that if we if we have that mentality of using it, recognizing that our weaknesses are there, that it's not fun. This is a natural segue into the next one, which is Second Nephi chapter three. This is a long one, and I'm not going I'm not going to read this whole one, but there's just the theme of this section, and you'll be familiar it with it. Second as- Nephi chapter 3, verses 29 through 66. There is a thought here where we see Nephi going through this same mental uh, anguish, the same mental exercise that all of us do. And to understand, when I think of Nephi, I think of one of the great spiritual men in the history of mankind. And here he is in this section, in, in, in the second book of Nephi here in chapter 3, and he's in verse 32 he says, My soul grieveth because of my iniquities. Verse 33 says, I am encompassed about because of the temptations and sins which doth so easily beset me. Who hasn't been there? I mean, and who can't recognize here with this great spiritual man, someone that I don't think, in, in my mind, I think, I can't ever be like Nephi. And yet here he is, he's saying, not, not, he's not saying, my soul is, you know, is a little troubled because I'm struggling with the temptation. He says, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. That's not, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, an excuse or an acceptance of sin or iniquity. Just because he went through it doesn't mean we can do it, and you know that. But what right. this is saying is that he goes through the same things that we've gone through, and he struggles with this, but it's how he comes out of this and how he approaches it that is this message to me that I just absolutely love. And if someone came to me and asked me my favorite scripture of all time, this might be it. And verse 43 says, And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, and this is 44, yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one hath placed in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? How often do we find ourselves in this uh, attitude or uh, in this atmosphere of temptation and that it feels like it has this place in our heart? And does it not destroy our peace and afflict our soul? Does it not just burn in your mind and just really bug you that you did this and it just... And and in verse 45, and this may be, I don't want to digress too much, but the fact that this is in here when I read this, if this does not help me understand the validity of the Book of Mormon, I don't know what does, because this seems so real and so raw. This is Nephi putting it all out there to me. Verse 45, why am I angry because of mine enemy? Why do I let it this... Why do I let this, this this sin, this temptation, do this to me? Why do I do it? 
And I've been there and I still get there sometimes. And I, I've been there so much. I can't explain to you how much I've been there. And I know exactly what he's talking about. And you feel like, you feel like you're, you're just, there, there's nothing else. You can't be good. Or you, you can even recognize that, sure, there's this chance for repentance, but you're, you're just there. In verse 42, he says, If the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men had visited me in so such mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions? That is powerful language. Mm-hmm. He is speaking to all of us, and all of us have been right there. We've all been right there. And we can read it and say, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know it. And in verse 46, he says, awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. Do not anger again because of my enemies, and do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Now, verse 50, he comes into this where he says, Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever, yea. My soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Verse 46, Awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. He's saying, get out of there. He knows that he's going to... Not anywhere in here does he say that he's going to uh, um, never sin again. Or know that he that these temptations aren't going to, aren't going to uh, uh, you know uh, come before him again. He he's saying that it's time to change his attitude about this. This is we are looking and reading and seeing his change of attitude about how he approaches the sin in his life, and he's saying in verse fifty four. May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. He's saying he's going before God exactly with that broken heart and contrite spirit that we know we're supposed to have. Going before God and recognizing this, he's able to, and we, he is able to seek and, I would say, receive repentance because of that broken heart and contrite spirit. It's that recognition. But it's that recognition that, that he doesn't need to concentrate and focus on um, this, where it says, you know, how wretched it, oh, in verse 31, like you said, a wretched man that I am, yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. He is coming, he is going through all these emotions, coming, going through all the stuff that we've talked about before that you and I have been through, that everyone has been through, and you can see this change of his mindset, and he asks God in verse 58 the same thing that we all ask, will thou make my path straight before me? And he's, you know, he's asking He's asking God to help get him back right on the back, right back on track. And that's what we have to do. He's approaching God right here. He says it in verse 54, like I said, that he's recognizing that now his heart is broken in the spirit and contrite and asking God to make the path straight back before him. And, and I just, I absolutely love this passage and it goes to the end of the chapter. And like I said, we don't have to read all of it, but if anybody does want to read, it starts pretty early back in back in uh, verse 20. You can even go back to verse 24, but verse 29. And it talks about how his soul delighteth in the scriptures and his heart pondereth them and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. Do we not delight in the scriptures when we read the scriptures? Like I told you before, 
Um, are we not thinking of those things? Are we not pondering those things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are. But then he's also saying, he's saying, okay, look, I love the scriptures. My heart thinks about these things, and yet here I am. I'm stuck in that mire, mm-hmm. like we talked about before. And I love that Donald used that verse, because we're all stuck in this mire. And here's Nephi. We're reading him, pulling himself out. And that's what he's doing, and I just love this verse because of that. I, I love those verses in that passage. I love it. And I love it, and it's something that I like to go back and read. It's a reminder to myself. All right, next verse, Matthew 5, 6. And this is the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this one I really like because, uh, just like we talked about in Jerem, when I read this, you know, this, this is something where my heart is pricked, where, where it causes me to, to uh, co- approach with that attitude of repentance and examine my life in something. And that is, like I said, Matthew 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I could tell you, and Amy would tell you, that I am someone who is uh, hangry. I get really hangry if I don't eat something. And, and you know, my whole focus is... You know, if I don't eat something, I'm getting upset, I'm getting irritated, I'm getting frustrated, I need to eat. You need a Snickers. I need a Snickers, right? I'll hunger, I'll, or hunger, I'll hover. See, I'm even thinking about food now. I'll, I'll hover in the kitchen when, when Amy's cooking something. I'll go grab and snack on something, even though I know I'm about to eat dinner. I get hangry. My whole focus there is just on being able to eat something. And I've had situations in my life where I've been so thirsty, I, all I can think about is just getting something to drink. Now and then I take that and I that that is that has an application to my spiritual life. These are Christ's words. This is Jesus Christ himself saying that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. What a reminder that is. What a reminder to if we're in the word and we're reading this when I come across this it's so simple. But do I have a hunger do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Is it something that I like to be righteous when it's convenient for me, or I like to be righteous most of the time. Do I desire to be righteous, but I know that I'm going to fall short, so I'm just going to kind of do the best I can. And think about that being filled, and that's the last part of it. And I I know I'm equating it to physical things, but think about having, you know, you're, you, um, and especially during this pandemic, we haven't been going out to eat. So I think of restaurants that I've liked to go to and I can imagine I get that craving and I think, oh, I can go, can't wait to go to this restaurant and eat and just fill up on all this yummy food that I haven't had in a while that I'm really desiring. And just think how you feel, Audrey. You feel full, you feel fat and happy, right? You're just, this is like, what an awesome yeah. meal. And now, and so do I have that same drive, that same, that same desire to, to behave in a righteous way that allows me to be filled, like Christ says there in verse six, and that filling that, that it just it's it, it's like a concept in my mind that I, I I I'm trying to wrap my mind around what that is and what that means and how I can achieve it because I don't feel like I've achieved that yet, and maybe that's my reasoning or the the pricking of my heart that I need to recognize that I don't yet truly hunger and thirst after righteousness like I should. You know, I, 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 it talks about being filled, and I don't know, these, these are just things that ramble around in my mind here. This is getting into the, to the really, really, really uh, stuff that I, the, the good stuff. Psalms, or excuse me, Psalm 37. 
I want to go to Psalm 37. This, if there was a, uh, I was asked what my favorite psalm was a couple months ago, and immediately it's Psalm 37. Psalm 37 or Psalm 51 are some of my favorites, but Psalm 37. This is, I have never read a scripture, uh, maybe that's a bit hyperbolic. When I read this scripture, it just, in this psalm, it gives me so much peace and comfort. And I love it. I love Psalm 37, and I would recommend the whole thing. But I want to focus in on three verses, and it's Psalm 23 through 25. And it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And we can, I mean, we can go on and on from there. But verse 24, 23 and 24 are so fantastic. It tells us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, right? The, the, it is established. It is set. It, it, we are set in that way by the Lord. And the Lord delighteth in that. And it says, and he delighteth in his way. I think that has a double meaning for it for me. The Lord delighteth in the steps of a good man, and as a good man we delight in the way that the Lord has set us on that path. And But verse 24 just touches me to the core. And I just love this so much, and I think about this often, that though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Talking about a good man, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. God is not going to let you be utterly cast down. He knows you're going to fall. You are going to fall. God is there to hold you up. He's not going to let you be utterly cast down. It's what a message of hope that is. I absolutely, just absolutely love this verse. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. He he catches you before you go down that far. He knows you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And he's saying, I got you. I got you. And and the fact that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, you know, and ordered here, um, I think in my Bible here it says established. The, these the the steps of a good man are established by the Lord, and we both delight in that. The Lord and the good man delight in that. I mean, what a message of hope, knowing that God is there with you, that He's not going to leave you, that He's there to pick you up when you fall. I I just absolutely love reading that verse. It's just all of Psalm 37. I'll go back and read. I remember reading it for opening Sunday school one time. Um, something had happened uh, in the last year or two that was pretty devastating or troubling, and that whole psalm is just really comforting. And I, I I like to go back and read it, and I would suggest reading the whole thing. So my Psalms uh, 37, if you will. Yeah. He that is righteous is favored of God. First uh, Nephi five one twenty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one I've always loved. That one. It just shows how He takes care of you. Yes, He does take care of you. And in verse twenty five in that Psalm, there He said that uh, He has not yet seen the righteous forsaken nor His seed begging bread. He takes care of you just like that. Okay, next one. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles sixteen verse nine. I gotta find it here. Second Chronicles, sixteen, nine. 
This is the story of, as I'm turning to this, I'll just fill some time here. This is the story of King Asa. I don't know how to say that. I'm going to say Asa. But this is the this is the story of King Asa, this whole, this whole chapter 15 and 16. And it talks about what King Asa did and how he kind of brought uh, brought the kingdom back to um, the Judah specifically, brought Judah back to uh, following God and all this stuff. But but this verse, this verse specifically I love, which is 16.9. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And the rest of the verse says, Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. That was a a rebuke of King Asa for something that he had done, but this verse is this verse is strong in telling us that that this loyalty, when it talks about this perfection or this hardest perfection, someone that is that is loyal to or following after God, that God is looking for this. He's looking for these opportunities. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is looking for the opportunities to manifest himself through the people that have this heart towards him. And it's like, it's, uh, and maybe there's uh, this common theme that I like throughout these scriptures is this message of God is there. And there's this hope. He's looking for these opportunities. He's looking for these people. He's not um, sitting idly by. He's not... He's he's actively coming to us. Revelation, I think it's Revelation, I'm going to quote this and be wrong. I think it's Revelation 3.20 is when Christ says, I stand at the door and knock, mm-hmm. right? It's, it, is this, it is this meet me mentality. I'm, God is looking for these opportunities. And, and when, we can, when we can be the conduit, for these opportunities and for for God to show His strength, how awesome! To, how awesome is that to think about, you know? And just just being the simple conduit, or just being the, a, a person who can be like that. I I mean I, I just love I just absolutely love that verse. I love the story of King Asa also. Um, it's it I think it has some good lessons for us. And I, this last verse, it's kind of taking us off a little bit of track, but I want to pivot because I think it's applicable for us today. And this is a a warning message, a message of caution to me. And we can take this verse and apply it to basically whatever we want. But I think you'll understand when I read this. And it may be a little out of context when I say it, but when we talk about it, you'll understand it's Galatians 5.9, which says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, I don't want to get, I absolutely do not want to get political or, you know, to, uh, to so, uh, talking about our, the social state today. But when I, when I think of this verse, what I think is just a little leaven, you just a little bit of that stuff, a little bit of the bad can, can, can explode and get people going crazy or get people, um, riled up. Or just a little bit of that stuff in your life can can um, take something that may be uh, a small focus that you have and turn it into your entire world. If if we go to First uh, Corinthians five one through eight, uh, there and 
this also talks about the I gotta turn to this why I'm talking. This also talks about lev like this leaven and the the um there's a definition here that I like though. And it says uh in verse seven, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. And if you go back and read the story, um it's kind of a weird one about why he's saying this. But uh in in verse eight Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So if we if we're talking about this leaven and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and, and what we're and we're supposed to get rid of that leaven, that, that old leaven. What is that old leaven? A leaven of malice and wickedness. And we are supposed to be the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So think about, just think about that application, malice and wickedness. And if we are focused on sincerity and truth, if I in my life am focused on that sincerity and that truth and, and eliminating or removing that malice or that wickedness, what applications can we think of that maybe have taken place very recently or other things in our in, in in our society or maybe even in our own lives or maybe even in the church where just a little bit of that that is interjected can uh spiral into a very very large issue and uh, and feel free here to tell me if you think I'm misspeaking or if you think I'm putting things where they're not but I think it's an important verse to understand and an important concept to understand not where I am telling people that they're not being sincere or truthful, but for, to examine my own life and think, am I allowing malice or wickedness to, uh, to kind of uh, bring up or bubble up or, or rise in me these things that maybe either I don't need to concern myself with or that are not as big a deal as I'm making them. And people can get me riled up. I can get riled up by other people and I got to watch myself mm -hmm. because just a little bit, just a little bit can really throw me off balance. It's not just making sure that I'm focused on this sincerity of this truth or that I am abstaining from malice and wickedness. It's the ability that I have within myself to mm, bridle my tongue or to hold back on things because I don't want to be the contributor of that leaven that leaveneth the whole lump. I don't want to be the one that gets other people riled up and crazy or gets their focus set on things that are not uh, that that get a, the body or our friends or whatever it is steered in the wrong direction or focused on those wrong things. And if like you said in your example, if our focus is completely on or their focus was completely on winning at no matter what cost. Well, then what it is, is that has taken, that is not just a mentality that was set by one person. That was a mentality that is shared by a group of people. And so once they get focused on that, you can't get off of that. And one, it, all it takes is, uh, and I'm saying this as if I'm, as a definitive fact, but in my mind, what this is telling me, what the scripture says, is that little leaven, just that little bit, that, that, that one person or that one idea that it can get that one little thing can get people riled up and get our focus changed. And it's a reminder to me not to take part in that and also not to be that little leaven myself. 
and yeah. I and I've been a I've been terrible at that. This past year, I felt like I have experienced growth, but oh, I've been terrible at that. And you've been a witness to that. I've contributed to division. I've contributed to bad attitudes. I've contributed to people digging their heels in and and feeling like they need to defend themselves because I've been on the attack. And that is the that's the kind of stuff that I talk about. You can apply the little leaven, leaven at the whole lump scripture to a million different things. And that's why I like it so much is it's applicable to things like uh, when we talk about social issues or we talk about um, uh, church issues or we talk about doctrinal issues with other people. And it's it's just a reminder to myself to not take part of it, which I'm totally guilty of, and to not be the instigator of it. Don't be that little leaven, which I have also done many times. So what I hear you saying is don't be a part of the problem, be a part of part of the solution. And in this verse, this is a, a very specific uh, way to apply a very broad scripture. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a, a specific way to apply a broad scripture. And and that's why I said, you know, it's it may feel a little out of context when I when I read it. But I do like it because it allows us to maybe give that that broad application or it, or it gives us it allows us to apply that application to different aspects in, of our lives or our interactions and and I don't think it's wrong to apply it that way but it's just a lesson for me yeah that's my scriptures man wow i think you broke the record Oh no! So, you know, for a first timer, you've really got the hang of this uh, of this preaching thing. No, don't say that. <laughs> I hope not. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Anyways, thanks for having me on, Daniel. Sorry to break the record for anyone who has to sit through an hour and forty minute podcast. That was Cody Fan. What do you know? For my yoke is easy and my burden. Dude, I hope that went all right.